the horrible examination of Thatcherism and naked Tom Hiddleston. What are we talking about this week? Well, you're going to find out soon enough, is we have Dan Skinner here to talk about his uh, current stage play, as well as his role in High Rise here on Overdue Rentals. Yes. Yes, it is true. We have Dan Skinner with us. You know, a man who is well known to so many people, only maybe as Angelo Sepithimu. Uh, you know, who you can see, you know, doing his own stand-up. You can go watch some episodes of Shooting Stars if you've ever watched Shooting Stars. Um, but man, I wish I could go see this play. I'm not gonna be available to be in England at the time. But you know, Unless hopefully I'll buy us out. Yeah, anybody anybody wants to, you know, this is gonna be out enough time for you to get us tickets so we can go uh before the show closes. Um we will even gladly stay in a high rise, the yeah. high rise even. We're going to get to talking about High Rise, but before we get Dan in here, I will say that I, High Rise is definitely a film that didn't hit with everybody. It hit the hell with me. That's for sure. Oh, do I have a story about this one? But okay. it, yes, it, it hit with me too. And there's also some really interesting story, interesting history about this movie. And are, we, are we talking about a certain Nicholas Rogue? Oh, well, not only Nicholas Rook, but also a certain Vincenzo Natale, who yes, apparently yes. was the closest person to, uh, at least I think he was the one that got closest to adapting it before uh, our, our one of our near and dear oh, first yes. guests, Ben Wheatley, went in and, and with his wife, Amy Jump, uh, turned this dystopia into a wonderfully nightmarish film. Oh, man. Well, and, and to have a Ben, another Ben Wheatley film. Yes. This, I want to know if this is the second or it's it's only the second, right? I don't think we. No. I guess you can call it third though, since we did talk about maybe even oh, fourth. True. We talked about technically three films with him because we kind of got into a lot of stuff when he was on the show. True, because we you know very first episode. A few people want to go back and listen to that wherever you ethically source your podcasts. Uh, first episode of ours was in the Earth and uh, Kill List. Kill List. Oh, then every time I hear that name, it makes me smile because. Because I'm a sick bastard, but also just because Kill List was the first discovery that I made through this show, and I was so happy to have made that discovery. It's it's uh, look, uh, we can go into that again if we want, but we got a lot of stuff to talk about. So let's let's get first. Let's get Dan in here. You then got after that, I better go grab a drink and do some inventory. Get a drink, do some inventory, because then I got to hear some of these stories you got. Dan Skinner, please make sure you get your drinks and snacks while you're here at the Overdue Rentals counter. Come on in. Thank you so much for your time also. Uh, it's a pleasure. Real pleasure and honor to have you here. Oh, that's kind. <laughs> uh, so we want to talk about High Rise. Well, we'll talk about High Rise. We kind of want to talk about Walworth Forest as well first because, oh, okay. you know, uh, it's it's interesting to me because when people hear the word forest, they should probably, probably think of something that is only a forest. You know, you think of things like now, especially the play that goes wrong or noises off maybe. Yeah, but this is something that has a much more, you know, serious, thoughtful, darker turn under it. And I'm wondering, yeah, is that the play? Do you know? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I've never. I haven't seen it, and I never got to read the whole thing. But yeah. I, I, I know a fair amount about it. Probably only because it first came in the rove in my mind when they did the version with the the Gleason family doing it. Oh, okay, cool. So you do know a bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Well, I mean, because a lot of people don't, and. um you're right. I mean, you could look at it's. I mean, it's called a farce, 
<coughs> in the title and it is there are sort of farcical i mean the so 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 basically it's about a um an irish uh immigrant who moves to london and his two sons come with him and um he creates this story of how uh, the reason for him leaving ireland and he gets his sons and him they perform the play the, the play of this story every day in their flat um yeah. and it's the same play and Dinny, my character sort of gives himself the best role makes himself the hero of the story and just get his sons to play all these different characters and that bit of the play is a farce so we tell this sort of farcical telling is people we follow all those rules people coming in and out of wardrobes um going into one room and out of the other putting on different wigs playing multiple characters um that sort of thing but then um there's the other the other element is the family dynamic you know the father with, with these two sons and the real reason for him leaving ireland um and on on the day of the the, the, the this play our play takes place the farce breaks down and the truth is revealed and it's sort of it's pretty grim yeah. and um yeah it's it's uh it's a bit more sinister well it's a lot more sinister than the sort of um romantic story that dinny has created for his sons to play out every day in the flat so I mean, it is an absolutely amazing play. It really is an amazing play. I know when the Gleasons did it, they it was directed by a guy called Sean Foley, who is just a comic. He's a sort of comic genius director, and so they they played it the whole thing for laughs. But we have we've we've gone for the laughs and we've gone for the the sort of sinister, dark elements as well. So it's a it's a right a roller coaster of a play. Well, is there is there an aspect, you know, and I think a lot of times, anytime there is a stage version of anything, yes, there's going to be certain people like, well, there's the thing about something like True West where, you know, where actors would always switch parts. It's famously at certain points. So there, there is, there, there is, this is the story. It has to be told this way. I'm going to read my lines. It's not like you can improv, but because there's parts of this where parts of the story are kind of being retold in certain ways, are there certain times where you think, well, I feel I can just fit something in that's now going to enhance this thing that people have kind of already seen in some way compared to just doing it straight from the page. No, I don't think you can. I mean, it's just because the writing is like, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so well written and it's, um, it's all there for you on the page. Um, and I, w I wouldn't be so presumptuous as to say, <laughs> well, I think I can, I can put something a bit better than that you know, or a bit different. I mean, you can interpret it in, you know, any way that you want, but the, the, it, you know, the, that the, the play is like an instruction manual. And if you follow that and do it as, I mean, and also it's, it's really, it's, it's really full on. So this, you, you know, you, if you don't, if you miss a beat or you miss something, mm. then it's going to have a massive knock on effect to, to several other scenes further down the line. So you've got to adhere to it as much as, you know, you've got to adhere to it basically so that the actual structure of the whole thing um, works and doesn't fall apart because uh, it's a really well-oiled machine and, and it's, it's a total ensemble piece and we have to all work together um and move this thing across two hours and you know and 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 if anybody drops the ball or you know it, it, the whole thing could just come crashing down so you've got to 
you know, you've got to be on your metal, you know, you've got to really bring your A game to it. Well, something I didn't realize until uh, just doing a little bit of research from when you were coming on is, is that your production is also taking place literally in Elephant Castle. Is yeah. there is there is there that extra kind of you know special aura about doing that so close to where the play is taking place? Well, yeah. literally where the play is taking place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think so because Ender Walsh he he lived in on the Walworth Road, and he he used to travel from the Walworth Road to Islington on the bus, and he actually wrote this play on the bus doing mm. his you know traveling across London over a course of, course of about a week. It just sort of tumbled out of him. But um, obviously it's nice for us. To, and we're opening a new theatrical space in London called the Southwark Playhouse Elephant. And it's nice to be doing it. It's nice for us to be doing it there, but it's really nice for the people to come, you know, because we do mention the Walworth Road and we mention the Elephant and Castle and, and none of it's, none of it's very flattering. Um, and for some reason, people love it when you slag off their local area you know when <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. they just seem to you know like in comedy when you sort of go oh this place they seem to i don't know why they seem to find that very funny so you know locals appreciate the fact that they are you know i think they it, it sort of it does give a sort of certain something to the production because they they do appreciate the fact that we are just talking about the Walworth road a lot and the elephant and castle and we're literally sitting in the middle of it so it feels very site specific um you know for want of a better term for as much as i know about uh production the, the background production behind any kind of stage play or 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 musical whatever it may be I don't imagine that the original writer gets involved or even is notified at a certain point when revivals happen, but is there a chance that and actually has, you were able to speak with him or had any kind of knowledge of your production whatsoever? He has been in, he's okay. been in, he's been into the rehearsals. He's been in to have a look. He's been in to see a dress rehearsal and he's coming again to see a, a proper performance. So yeah, he's very, very involved. And, and I think he was, um, he was quite involved. He had to have approval of casting. So that's, yeah, that's quite nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and yeah, you know, he's been, he's been invaluable with just, you know, just giving you little notes that you didn't know basically. So he, so he said, my character, Dinny, you know, he watched me do it. And then he said, you know, yes, but, but more, um, just, um, just imagine he is Oliver Hardy on Coke. <laughs> right, that's that's the okay. note he gave me. That's the note he gave me. It's a great note because immediately you go, well, I understand exactly what you mean. You know, it's a it's a really great specific note. Um, and he just he was just very helpful in sort of, you know, breaking down the play and asking, you know, sort of posing questions and, you know, questions that he obviously knew the answer to, but just sort of putting them in our mind and well, just think about that, you know. And then you have to, as an actor, you have to work it out yourself so that you, so it's in your body and and spirit, so that you can you can give it to the audience, you know. Um, and yeah, he's just been he's just been and he's been very enthusiastic and um, and he's loved it as well. He's really enjoyed. He's he's, he's been very kind about our production. Um, and so, yeah, it's, he's been, he's been great. He's been, you know, really, really on board with it. There's obviously always a difference between taking part in any kind of stage production to doing something of your own work, whether, you know, can be considered stand up or group work. 
but is there a same feeling like you can spend hours on stage as angelos but is it the same feeling as coming on stage and doing this as in far as preparation and the way it feels no okay it's, i mean it's it's it it kind of is because you're performing but i mean the the the, the biggest difference, of course, is like when I'm doing Angelos, I'll go on stage with a microphone and I'm looking for the audience. You know, I'm looking to see the audience. I'm looking to look at the audience and engage with the audience because as a stand up, you are creating a status in the room. And, you know, the audience have to know that you are in charge of the room. Mm -hmm. um, and also you're you're writing your own stuff you know the rhythm of your own stuff you know when how to how long to leave a pause to to um you know before the before the punchline comes and that sort of thing and in a play you're working with, for a start you're working with others you're not engaging with the audience and you're interpreting somebody else's work and throughout the rehearsal period you can have an idea about what you think you have in terms of the production um, whether it's a comedy or, a, you know, where the where the moving moments are or the gear changes are. But you don't really know. You don't really know that until you put it in front of an audience and the audience will kind of tell you what it is you've got. And then you can work from that basis. And I guess that is quite similar to comedy, you know, stand up in a way, because, you know, stand up is is the only art form that you have to do public rehearsals you know you can't you can't really write something and then do it in front of the mirror and go well that'll get a laugh <laughs> you know you you have to do it in front of an audience of people and you know it, it most of it doesn't get a laugh and you have to just go back and painstakingly work out how and why that doesn't happen um and isn't there's a sort of similarity in in doing a play but um you're 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 uh, interpreting somebody else's text so you are trying to you're trying to squeeze the sort of the moments out of that text and making sure that the relationships between the different characters are bang on and you know and you you're doing a sort of collective timing and a collective a collective sort of pace um so it's yeah i mean it, it's the same but it's but it's very different at the same time um I'm I'm loving it though. I'm loving it. It's it's great. It's a it's a great. I mean, it's an amazing play, and I can't imagine ever being offered a better part to do than this. <laughs> it's just extraordinary. Before we move on to talking about high rise, actually, though, I do have one quick or maybe two quick because it always interested me because I I look for information, but I can't find everything a lot of times because yeah. when it comes to the creation of of Angelos as a character, you know, I know you you were coming on to shooting stars, and they you know it was originally just a panelist kind of yeah. idea. But was Amazing. it always You've done all your research? You know all about oh, it. Oh, I mean, man. I watched, I watched, I, I, I watched. But there are certain episodes of Shooting Stars I still can't get, and these are the earlier ones, more so when yeah. when it was still Matt Lucas on. But <laughs> cool. um, most of them, I, most of them, I can see. But I, I didn't think about it until much later on that because you, you create the character. I mean, Vic and Bob asked you to be on. You yeah. know, you, uh, they obviously let you work with stuff, but you ha I have to feel that it was at some point either Vic or probably Bob's suggestion that you have to be called Angelos because I got to, just like Georgie Dawes, I have to be able to rhyme scores with it at one point or another. <laughs> but since you were originally on as a panelist, I didn't know if that was the plan. I'm just interested to see if it was just by happenstance. <laughs> well, Angelos was my character. Yeah. And I, I was doing Angelos from about 2002, 2003. Okay. And 
Uh, I was originally part of a sketch group called the Dutch Elm Conservatoire, and I used to do a sketch with Angelos in that. And then, um, and then when all, that all came to an end, I just thought, well, I I really enjoyed doing Angelos more than anything else. So I'll just go out on stage and see if I can work out how to be that character in front of a load of people. Mm. And so initially, I didn't have any material or anything, and I just went out there and you know mucked around. But I knew how to speak like Angelos and I knew how he was funny and I knew how to make him work and stuff. And then I was doing a sketch, another sketch show uh, called the Armstrong and Miller show. Yes. Um, yes. And Lucy Montgomery, who's a very brilliant actor, writer, and she'd just done a series with Bob Mortimer called Titty Bang Bang. Um, and I kept doing my Angelos character to her, you know, so f- you know, for a laugh. And she said Bob would love that character. Um, so I went, well, that's great because I love, I love Vic and Bob, you know. Um, and so I made a video of me sat on the end of my bed, and I filmed myself as Angelos going, and I just said, for God's sake, Mortimer, you know, this is getting ridiculous now um it's time that you gave me a job you know what i can do you know what i'd never met him you know you know what i can do you know where i am and then i just sent it off uh, to their production company and they like got in touch with me <laughs> which is really weird <laughs> um and yeah and then they invited me then they came to see me do a um they came to see me do a gig down in Brighton, which is on the coast. It's you know, it's quite a way away. It was a it was a real sort of commitment for them to do that. And then they invited me to the rehearsal room to muck around. And and when I got in there, in the rehearsal room, there was me and Vic and Bob. I'd I'd never met Vic at that stage. Matt Lucas was there. Jack D was there. Um, Ulrika Johnson was there. And I was like, oh, right, shit, man, this is like serious. <laughs> and then Bob to sort of, you know, I was already nervous. And then Bob, you know, just to cap it all off, just walked up to me and said, Dan, um, this is going to be really hard for you because we all know each other. So, you know, you're just going to have to chip in. Um, but, you know, that's what it's going to be like on the night. So you might as well just get used to it. I was like, oh, fuck, all right, okay. <laughs> um, so I put my anorak on and did the hair, put that down and, they're all sitting around in the sort of um, rehearsed uh, shooting stars format. And I've just, and I thought, well, if I don't say something, then I'm just going to freeze and that's it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything. So while they're all talking away, I just slammed my hand down on the table. And I said, um, have we started this yet? Because I've got to go. I can't be here all day. This is taking the piss. Right, <laughs> and then and after that they were just like asking me question after question and i was just answering it and and then and then yeah at the end of that bob came up and said uh, yeah yeah we'll be in touch and then he <laughs> and then he offered he offered me that the series which is great um and so i went from panelist as you say um to scorer like series series two i think it was yeah so great fun brilliant fun well, it also, it also seems, you know, like not only being able to kind of be bought into the, that cadre of, of, of real legends. Loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it, it seems to be, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's not like you're, you're hanging with Vic and Bob every day working on stuff, but it seems that you became not only, look, you're, you're also one of the few lucky ones that get to be part of the glove, which if everything goes the way it's supposed to be, you know, we're not going to see the name Vic Reeves much anymore. Yeah. You, know, you get to come along for the ride. 
Yeah, no, it's cool, man. It's I mean, it's like imagine because I was a big fan of Rick Vic Reeves' Big Night Out when that first came out in 1990 or something it was, and it, it was you know it's was, it was probably like listening to punk rock the first time. Mm. You know, and you watch that and go, oh, man, that's what that's what I've got to do. I've got to do that. And of course, having no idea how or, you know, but then for those two people who you've sort of worshipped to say, yeah, right. Well, we'd like you to come on our show and be your character and do whatever you like. It's like it's just it's, you know, it's sort of mind blowing. It's like it is those sort of opportunities just don't sort of come along very yeah. often. Um, and I just wanted to make. Uh, you know, I wanted to have as much fun as I could and enjoy it as much as I could. And yeah, I was scared sometimes, but I was able to do it. I was just able to do it, you know, and I just knew, and they, they're amazing because they, they're really, they're so encouraging and they really do like to be made to laugh. So if they, they are happy to laugh at what you do and they've got, don't have any ego in that respect, you know, they just want to have fun. So it's a quite a unique, um, set of characters in in the world of uh, comedy and show business really you know very generous very generous people yeah that's the one thing i could say just by by whatever i am able to see or or even read is it's clear that the two of them both have very little ego which is a great thing to see for somebody of their well, stature artist you know i mean jim in particular is a he's an artist he's not um he, he's he never really saw himself as a comedy he he did comedy as he saw it, you know, it was just, it was, a, it was what I think this is funny. And I, you know, just so yeah. happens lots of people thought it was as well. I mean, he's, he's like, he, he's happy to really sort of push the ideas. And I remember he said to me, um, he used to be in a band, uh, Jim, uh, uh, Jim is his yeah. name. Vic. <laughs> he used to be in a band like long before shooting stars. And, they used to turn up at every venue with flasks of curry and they used to undo the flasks and just got them around the stage. Um, and I said, why, why did you do that? He says, because we didn't have a band name and <laughs> we just wanted to be known as the band that smelt of curry. <laughs> He had he just had loads and loads of stories like that. Loads of ideas. Very funny man, really lovely. But he's, um, I mean, have you seen his art? His, his actual sort of visual art is great. It's, it's all, it's genius stuff. That's what he wants to do now, he wants to paint. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, that's what, so I've read at least. But uh, I don't want to, I feel like, I, if we don't start talking about High Rise now though, I don't think we have to do, because I'm just oh, going to yeah, keep no, coming up with more things to ask about, so I apologize. No problem, um, whatever, whatever you want. Well, High Rise, High Rise is a film, I mean, I, I think it was Kill List when I, when I discovered Ben Wheatley. And so when High Rise came out, I was I was all in, ready to go. And I will be honest with you, and was, maybe it's because I at the time I still only knew you as Angelos. Yeah. It took it was not until years after I saw it that I realized that was you as Simmons. I I had well, no you know, clue I'm very, whatsoever. I'm very happy. I'm very happy about that. In in terms of all my acting roles, I I love it when people don't know that it's you know that it's Angelos that it's like um, oh who's that bloke and then. And then they sort of, you know, because I, I, it's much better to be an actor that nobody, you know, an an, an, an anonymous actor. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Rather than somebody who's known for something or some. And if you can disguise yourself that way, then I just think it helps the project of the film or, 
you know, just so that you can just be the character rather than the person playing the character, if, if that makes sense, you know? Well, what was it like getting joined onto it? Was it something where it was just audition going and getting it or like Ben, you knew Ben or Ben knew you and kind of said, I'm interested to see if you kind of come in and do this. Well, Ben, you, you may or may not be surprised to know, used to, um, he used to make some of the sketches for shooting stars. I did not know that. Wow. He used to direct okay. them. He used to direct them, and he and he's some he's done some real crackers, some real crackers. So I was working with him on shooting stars, and I, I didn't know, I didn't put two and two together that he'd made Kill List, you know. Um, so I was just acting my heart out with these sort of little Vic and Bob sketches, and then I don't know, it was like quite a bit later because that was I think that was sort of season two of shooting stars that I did. And then we did House of Fools. And I think it was after House of Fools that Ben, I got I just I got a message from my agent saying Ben would like to meet you for high rise. And I was like, all right, okay. Um, and then um he got I had to read the script. I remember reading the script and just going, Man, I do not, I mean, I don't know what is going on here. But but I recognized the fact that it's that it had a style to it that I really liked, you know, that, and so, so when I went in to meet Ben, I said, it reminded me of Clockwork Orange or Rollerball. And he went, Rollerball, I'll take Rollerball. <laughs> um, and then, um, and then, yeah, he just got me to do a sort of, he got me to do a scene, I think uh, a couple of times. And then, um, and then that was it. He was just like, yeah, all right, wicked. And I, I you know, nothing, <laughs> It, it never, nothing had been so simple for me before. <laughs> so I think he wanted me to do it basically. And he just had me in to see if I could. Um, and it, uh, I could. So um, I did. Yeah. Yeah. The character is, it was, was always very interesting to me because when you first introduced to him, you feel like he's just in, in essence, the muscle in, in certain ways. Like he's the guy who has to go and, and get things done uh, because nobody else is going to get it done but in the same breath he is part of you know not to keep saying using the word cadre again but he is part of this higher echelon in, in a lot of ways and yeah. it almost feels like you didn't expect it to go that direction well it's funny isn't it because he is basically someone from the lower floors simmons that's made his way up yeah you know, to the top floor and you know like everyone in that building they want to protect their position so it's, you know, he wants to be up there and he'll do anything he can to, to you know, to get out, to stay there. I mean, I think they all come to a sticky end in the end. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, that's it's And it, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was funny because I, it, it, I felt as an actor, you know, I was in amongst Jeremy Irons and Tom Hiddleston and Luke Evans and um, James Purefoy and Sienna Miller and, I, you know, I had just done, I come off of shooting stars. I, mean, I, I like it was, it was, it was incredibly intimidating for me to be amongst those people. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't be like that now, but back then I was. And, um, and Ben and Laurie, who's the DOP, they said, yeah, we knew it would be. And we, we wanted that. That's what we wanted. We wanted you to feel that sort of uncomfortable feeling because that's how you would feel you know it, it it you would feel like that in that in that situation mm. anyway you know being being um um oh, what's his name uh oh I can't remember. jeremy Irons' character 
um yeah well because he's technically re referred to as as um i forget now too is it the manager or is it the well, he's the architect architect thank but you i was yes. trying to think of his name i could I, oh, oh I, royal royal uh, royal, royal royal yeah exactly royal well there you go yeah um so you know he he would they, they they knew that it would make me feel all sorts of strange things anyway being amongst those people so they just sort of played on that um but yeah he did the job man was, was it something is was that always i mean look I think over a lot of people, when they get into whether it's just comedy or acting, you know, they have a certain goal in their mind. But was that somewhere you wanted to go? Did you want to make sure that you had like more serious roles or, or anything uh, along those lines? I had wanted to do Vic and Bob. I wanted to be on a Vic and Bob show or do something <laughs> like that. So when that happened, I was like, all oh, right, now what do I do? Um, but I, I always knew that I wanted to, I think I knew I wanted to act um but i but i never knew how to i never i never thought it would be possible you know mm. i never thought after doing angelos that anyone would ever offer me anything that was sort of you know uh remotely serious but that hasn't been the case because i think a lot of people see angelos as an acting job it's like he's playing this he's playing this character and if you can play that character then maybe you can play other characters um so that's you know that's how it sort of that's how it's proceeded um so yeah i mean now now i'm sort of you know now i think right i really would i would like i love it i love it i love you yeah. know i want to do as much as i can and and i'm and i'm confident now you know i'm confident i know what i can do and i know i know i know what risks i can take and how far i can push things and you know, so I'm in a good space now. Yeah, and I think for a lot of films, it could be said that there are atmospheres that are like our characters, but this is very much a film where the building, it feels alive. It feels like it's a character to me. Was yeah. it like that on set at all? Did it feel like it was it was important or just like, I'm here to do my job as acting. I'm not even paying attention to kind of the surroundings. No, no, you, you, you definitely paid attention to the surroundings because the surroundings were so um they were so ornate and they were so um they were so well designed and if those so specifically designed you knew that you were you knew the feeling and the uh the atmosphere that he was trying to create and he was very keen to play us the music as well clint mm. mansell's tracks and um the portishead stuff because because you know that that stirs so much emotion and so much of the tension and the feeling that you're trying to get. And you just, you know, you knew um, just from the script as well, you know, how it was described, the light shining on the building and the reflection of the light from the building. And the building is mentioned an awful lot um, throughout the whole of the script. So you knew that it was a, it was the sort of central character essentially, and we were operating within this, within this character. Um, so yeah, it, 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 and and you knew that you were sort of serving this thing, um, and it's hard to sort of, it's hard to um, put into words really, but it's just a sense and a feeling that you understood. And I think me saying to uh, Ben when I first met him that it reminds me of Rollerball showed him that he understood what he was doing if you know what i mean yeah sort of the breakdown of things and 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 you know higher anyway i can't i it's very hard to sort of describe and um yeah 
Yeah, well, it, it also feels like, yeah, it feels like in a lot of ways, again, since you actually did have a relationship with Ben ahead of time, and like you're saying, he's kind of bringing you in just to make sure that will work out. But it seems like when you say stuff like that to him, like, well, he understands what I'm kind of going for. So obviously this is going to fit. So as well, long we as it works, it works. Of, we just had the sort of same, you know, I, we had the same sort of film references. And so sometimes when you're a good shorthand for sort of talking, you know, directing or, you know, trying to get an idea across, you can sort of mention this film or that film and you go, well, I understand. I know that film. I know, I know what that, I know how that feels to watch it. And, you know, and that's, yeah, so it's it's an easy way of communicating, I guess. It's sort of a, a quicker way of communicating. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Uh, have a have a blast with the with the rest of the production. Thanks, uh, man. Truly an honor. No, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. All the best. I'm so sad I missed this. A lot. Like, like, Dan is so amazing. I, I I wish you were there too because it was a really wonderful conversation. You you, you you hear it, but being there is a little slightly different thing, I guess. Oh yeah. Well, but, maybe he should come back on the show at some point. Well, oh, we'll definitely have him back on the show. Have, whatever he wants to talk about, by all means, Dan, reach out to us. Let us know. I high rot. Look, I mean, look, One with Forest is something that I his production specifically would be something that I would really love to see. You know, I, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to get out there in time before it closes to see it again, unless somebody wants to pay to fly us out. Uh, I just love farce. Well, that's the thing. Well, that's the thing. Like, while it says farce and there are farcical things that happen, it's not your traditional farce because there are some very deep-rooted, twisted, and emotional things that happen. It's, it's you know, it's a cover, in essence, for something, you know, much larger and much more serious. Like uh, High Rise? I, you know, maybe in a different sense than High Rise. High Rise is a little more is a little more uh, almost satirical when you think about it, even though it's not like a pure comedy satire. Um, but High Rise, yeah, it was like it's 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 a divisive movie. Uh, I would say I I did love it, and you know, for a lot of reasons. But I I'm not gonna I don't want to assume because there's there's a certain aspect of people who don't know it because they just haven't seen it. They didn't get promoted to them only whatsoever but i have to have a feeling and i'm not trying to say this is everybody who didn't like the movie or everybody who never finished the movie but it's one of those films where i know for a matter of fact there is a percentage of people and i mean by percentage i don't know but it's more than like five people who probably turn this thing on and because in the first five minutes dead dog yeah and they said no i'm not doing this and they shut it off they wouldn't even give it a chance and that just that's one of those things that kind of pisses me off a little bit but you poor suckers miss tom hiddleston's ass i mean there's so much more than just that though man oh there is so much more than that because this is this is one of the i think this is one of the best examples of what i love about international filmmaking but especially english filmmaking mm. because this is just very the film starts out very stiff upper lip and mocking that sort of thing. And then soon that mocking turns to scorn and turns to brutality. Yeah. And I like that transitioning through those different lenses, but it never loses its sense of humor. It never loses the threads that it laid down. And also, if you folks out there listening thought that Pierce Brosnan singing SOS was the scariest version of SOS you'd ever heard, uh, first of all, shame on you. He tried his best. And I actually do like that in a cheesy sort of way. But also listening to Portishead's cover. Well, the Portishead cover of SOS in this film is. Well, shit blowing. is going down. Oh, like 
So skin crawling. Well, what's funny about it is it was never released. Uh, it was kind of recorded just for the film because they hadn't they didn't record anything new after 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 third. Uh, it, but it was kind of made. I think and I don't know if it was made for the film. It was made but never used. But they it was something that people hadn't heard. I, no, it was a char. I think it was a, it was a charity single that they made, and that's why. But it was used for the film, and it never got released officially. And then it was something like two or three years ago, it just got like released on on SoundCloud. I remember a friend of mine going like, "Oh my God, Portishead's back!" And it's like, "Well, that's kind of actually from from High Rise from like 2015 almost." No, 2012. 2016, 2015 premiering at TIFF, 2016 general okay. audiences, but general time. Yeah, and, and, then, and they finally put it out there, but it's like, and it's, it's, it's still a great song to hear them do it separately, but it's one of those things that with the visuals from the film, Oof. whole other level. Whole and other again, level. you want to talk about shifting lenses. There's that initial scene that SOS comes up where it's like this posh orchestral cover. I think it was, uh, I remember looking it up on YouTube afterwards. And I think the first comment was like, I'm just picturing some costume party with some posh gits, uh, you know, busting yeah. someone's chops or something like that. It was something really funny that I was trying to find before the show, but couldn't. But that's like this sort of English, it's almost like a, an English comedy, but you're on the side of the, the rube, so to speak, in that. And there, and then you hear SOS the next time, and it's like, ah, not no good. <laughs> well, that's look, and that's the other thing too, because I'm kind of talking about the Rube comment, I guess, which is not necessarily where I'm going with this, but it reminds me of it too. Again, because we did when I talked to Dan, uh, it, it did come up this idea that you know, because his character Simmons, when you first meet him, you just think he's you think he's only the muscle, you think that's what he is, and he's clearly not kind of the type of person you imagine to be in the upper echelon of the high rise, but he's ingratiated himself there. And Dan, Dan even says like, yeah, he came from like the lower classes and just found his way up and stayed there. And that's the other thing where I think a lot of people, and I'm not trying to assume that I know what they're thinking, but I think a lot of people are only imagining high rises as a film that's trying to talk about that only about class war in a, in a way, but it's, that's not what it's really all about. It's part of it, but it's a much larger, you know, um, kind of commentary on yes again as we're talking about the thatcherism part of it but this idea that people kind of take this idea of finding a place where everything is just given to them and that becomes their life and that's all that it is so and that's the other thing because it feels strange it's like how are police and all this other stuff not involved in getting this stuff taken care of because it's this idea that it's all caged in and the rest of the world just has no idea and they can still somehow live but in this somehow post-apocalyptic world that only exists in this high rise. Yeah, like those five towers are the extent of this apocalypse. No one else needs to know. No one cares to know. Yeah. Uh, the Iron Lady is still ruling over England with her iron fist. And which that that's a, a lovely, like sort of a sneaky little punch at the end because you could automatically assume, oh yeah, they're totally talking about Thatcher era, England, blah, 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 yeah. blah. It gets to the end it's like yeah you were right we just wanted you to figure that out yourself and it's a nice little button at the end well that's the thing it's it's interesting though because i think i can obviously see where people will go like other maybe other people would go like well they're doing that because you probably didn't get it and they need you to tell they need they need to tell you somehow because you're too stupid or something like that which i don't think was that point but oh, i'm no. sure people saw it that way too and just maybe went like eh. I think it's the reward for people that that picked up on it, especially because you've got the kids sitting there listening to that. 
And uh, what year did this movie come out? 2016. <laughs> Uh, politics around the world were kind of going through a bit of a, a bit of a moment then. <laughs> yeah. And I would, I, I think this was, oh, so funny enough, I actually revisited this during the pandemic, during the lockdown, because I thought it would be perfect to do so. And it was, <laughs> but the big story I had about this was, I think Oh yes, I'd, yes, I'm waiting for this. I think I'd watched it on my own. Okay because I'd seen trailers and like, this was the beginnings of when I was working for Cinema Blend. But I had, wa I think I'd watched this on my own or I'd seen the trailer, I forget which, but I, no, I watched it on my own and I really liked it. So we're at a friend's house, my wife, uh, my friends and I, and you know, my, our friends. And I was like, hey, we can watch High Rise because I thought, you know, maybe they'd be in it. We're, we're, we're sort of a, we're a movie appreciation group where we would watch things together. And sometimes sure. whether it's good or bad, like we would be able to talk about it. And we had some, we would usually be mostly on the same page. I was the only person that liked this in the room. <laughs> no one else liked it. It was like a bit of a silence afterwards. And it's one of those moments where it's like, I think there was a meme where it's like when you let your friend pick the movie and it's like disaster scene here or something like that was, that was basically what happened. But I don't care. I still love High Rise. I will gladly watch this again. Terrifying Portishead cover and shouting Luke Evans and all. You know, it's funny. I I, I shouldn't say I was upset because there's no reason to be. There's no reason for me to assume this was going to happen. But I really thought that somehow, because I, I have a, a Blu-ray when it first came out, I thought I was going to be quoted on the box of that thing because I knew, I, I didn't know at the time, but I had seen at the time that the returns weren't that great as far as reviews went. And I had seen it uh, at the press screening for Tribeca Film Festival at the, at the time. And I wrote a glowing review. And before, like, even like, it couldn't have been up for more than a half an hour when the PR rep emailed me saying, thank you so much for the great review. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm glad you liked it. And it was like, well, give me some interviews or something. I don't know. But um, I, was, I was kind of like half expecting, it's like, I, I imagine... If, if if my review is so glowing that I would probably appear on the box somewhere, but no, it, it did. <laughs> well, there was probably an, I guess there was enough festival reviews that, that yeah. had, you know, the glowing praise for it because this did, again, TIFF, and I'm sure the TIFF crowds loved this. Here's and I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah, well, and here's the other thing about the movie that we haven't talked about yet that, you know, Dan brought up a little bit just at, in, you know, just in regular conversation. The cast in this thing Oh, other ridiculous man, now, the cast in this thing. Thank you. I was going to mention it if you didn't. This is going to be one of those ones where I'm going to have to just read a list of names here real quick. And I'm going to skip over a few people, unfortunately, but this is what... So it stars Tom Hilston, Jeremy Irons, Sienna Miller, Luke Evans, Elizabeth Moss, James Purefoy, Keely Hawes, Reese Shearsmith, of course, Dan Skinner. I'm, I'm reading in order. So Dan, here's Dan, Dan Skinner, Stacey Martin in one of her other early roles after Nymphomaniac, Tony Way, who, who for a lot of people, you may not know Tony Way by name, you know Tony Way. Bill Patterson, who's one of my like all-time favorite people in the entire world. Uh, please love Bill, Bill Patterson. come on the show. Uh, we can talk about anything you want, but we're going to probably do some adventures about Munch hasn't mentioning while we're there. Anyway, I, or, and of course, saying detective. Um, <laughs> Sienna Galloway, because I, yes, I, I remember I, loving her in the Resident Evil movies. I, 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 she's one of the names, that's where I was saying, like, I'm probably going to skip over it. Uh, when I was reading it, because I was reading so fast, but I knew we'd probably come back to. Oh um, yeah, there was no way in hell I was letting you skip her. It's just, it's just a movie that has so many people in it that all have 
their own little stories too. And it's a movie that needs that sort of cast. You need yeah. that sort of murderer's row of people if you're really going to attack this because this is another one of those books where some people thought it would never be able to be made yes. into a film. And I highly recommend that our listeners check out another po podcast called Best Movies Never Made where they got Vincenzo oh, Natalian. They got Vincenzo Natalian to talk about his his uh, approach. Oh, I didn't it's know about this. Okay. It's an amazing sit. Oh, I want Vincenzo Natalian here. Well, but, but I mean, we're going to have to talk about something else, I guess. I don't know, because it's Splice. They, they got him on there already do. Another oh, <laughs> oh, I need to talk to him about Splice. Gotcha. Because <laughs> I'm a sick bastard, ladies and gentlemen. We already know about this. But seriously, his listening to him talk about, I think he was going for more of a futuristic approach to it versus the film going with like sort of a period, this, this adaptation going with a period appropriate tack. Yeah, I mean a period period appropriate also, but you know has the 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 shining kind of um, not glaring but uh, very noticeable kind of references to a lot of other stuff around it, not just you know its own um, single piece of work. But um, when I did mention it, Dan also uh, Mike, which you'll, you'll which uh, of course you'll you've heard by now. <laughs> I love the fact that the building itself felt like a living creature. It felt like a part. It felt like another cast member in this massive cast of characters. And um, it's just something that I think a lot of people try to pull off in a lot of films, they don't. So the fact that he was able to, that Ben was able to pull it off here is is kind of fascinating. I mean, if anybody was able to to get that across, you, you, you I mean, especially after, you know, it, even though it, it, it was a film released after, especially after watching In the Earth, if there's anyone that could have done this sort of thing, it was definitely that. Well, I think Vincenzo Natale probably would have been able to do it too. And I would have been interested to see how he, because I think his was set more on an island and it really was like a secluded area versus. Interesting. I, just, I have to go back and, and, and listen to the, the episodes again from Best Movies Never Made. That's interesting. But there's also, of course, before that, there was a possibility of a Nicholas Rogue version, which when you think about it, in that time period, and it was—I think it was still—it was thinking it was the early '80s at that point. It wasn't like it was in the '70s they were thinking about doing it. But that's the—if you told me that the high rise made by Nicholas Rogue, that makes so much sense. He's oh, like—he is the perfect yeah. person for that. No, that is—that is absolutely correct. That's—that's that's, uh, Nicholas Rogue would have been if you were going to make this more contemporary when the book was first published. That's the person that probably would have been one of the best choices, if not maybe Cronenberg like you give it a couple more years he might have been able to do it I don't know I, I get I I I love Cronenberg and I love when he does stuff that is a little more you know we're talking about the um history of violence type Cronenberg where it's a little less of the actual body horror even though it still exists a little bit um but you know out in in, in a different uh atmosphere but I don't know if we talked about this, Mike, or you saw my review or not, or I saw my quote on, on Facebook. Is this that tweet, or your messenger pigeon? Because when, when I when I came out of the press screening for Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania, my first thing was is that this would have been the time. I know I know Disney was never thinking about it, Marvel's never thinking about it, and Cronenberg was thinking about it. this. Should this was where Cronenberg should have made a Marvel superhero movie was Ant Man: and The Wasp: Quantum Mania. 
Oh, I did. I do remember seeing you write that. And I was kind of in agreement because I would have loved the quantum realm alone would have been. But like, I'm thinking, I was thinking about like, because I know a lot of people and I did in my review, I said this. And so I'm sorry to repeat myself for people who may have heard the review. But in that whole like, you know, where everybody's talking about it was being a Star Wars cantina scene. Like, I actually thought more of Cronenberg. And I said, wouldn't it have been great that instead of the broccoli man comes up and hits on hope. There was just a mugwam from Naked Lunch sitting there smoking a cigarette and just turned to her and just kind of went, you know, that would have been the greatest thing in the entire world. Uh, uh, I'm I'm going too far now. I'm going too far. We have to have a Naked Lunch episode. We're going to do a Naked Lunch episode. They also need to find Julian Sands. I I mean, I unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be good news at this point, but we have to know what's going on with yeah, that. I, I still can't believe that, that not only that it happened, but also that we're at this point. Yeah. And we still don't know. We still haven't found a body. And I exactly. And and for anybody who thinks that was really a random thing to start mentioning, it's because he's in Naked Lunch. That's the only reason I bought it up. Um, not to. I didn't want just to bring it up for no reason. And yeah. Well, also we we covered Warlock, so it's not like yeah. We're, oh yeah, absolutely. It's not like we're not fans of the man's work. So naturally, that you know he's he was going to come up at some point or another, and it's just unfortunately under these circumstances. Yeah. Um. But I. We should move on now because I don't want to stick too much on the sad notes. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's just go back to the ABBA. <laughs> to the ABBA. Yeah, I mean, I, I almost I shouldn't say feel bad because I don't feel bad for him at all because he's still he's still very popular and he's still, um, you know, well loved. But Tom Hiddleston, away from Marvel, has chosen some of the best projects, but they're the projects that. Because they're the best projects, usually the best projects are not big multiplex things that people can go see. And I think a lot of people are missing out because they haven't seen it. And he's like, not that he's failed in any way whatsoever, but it's like it should have gotten more eyes on it, you know? Oh, yeah. And this is around the same time that I don't remember if it was before or after, but Crimson Peak was another one where he picked a great project. He's stellar in it. And it just didn't, it didn't. As much as the studio wanted, and that's the uh, we'll we'll save all that talk for when we do our Crimson Peak episode. This is also it was also right it was either right after or right before Only Lovers Left Alive too. Right? I was just about to mention that too. Yeah, like I'm gonna do a Jim Jarmusch movie after I've done you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's it's just like Idris Elba, like Idris <laughs> Elba was like a, a, well he's not as he wasn't as big of a deal as Loki, but he was still beloved and fantastic in the MCU. I, he, I, I don't I I will I'm gonna make an argument of that that after I'll let you finish and I'm gonna have an argument for you. Oh please argument. Oh you uh, you don't want to finish? Oh well just that he was you know he picked some really cool really off the wall stuff. I feel even though the MCU is such a massive thing and Loki is probably one of honestly the most po- besides besides Iron Man maybe the most popular character with a lot of fans. Um. I'd say on a mass general audience level for people who don't go out and find people's names and maybe don't even go out to see movies because of stars in it, I'd say more of them would actually be quicker to recognize Idris Elba than Tom Hiddleston. That's fair because he did, I mean, his career before the MCU also, it was his career before the MCU that really built him up. Whereas Tom Hiddleston had a career, but not as big as, you know, being on The Wire or doing 28 Weeks Later or, you know, which which that's still overdue. But, I mean, he was even in Prometheus. Yeah, I mean, 
That's the thing, because I remember, I remember I when, before he, before, I was around when Luther actually was starting, I would say, um, when he was doing, you know, what, what like, movies, like, what was that, what was that really bad, because um, it was not, not The Losers, because Losers is good, um, but, like, right after that, he had made, like, the, one of those bad heist movies with, like, T.I. or somebody, and Takers, Takers, right, stuff like that. I remember going to the, 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 uh, the press screening for Takers. And it was one of those ones where it's mixed audience. So you're then there with like, you know, just like people who got special events to see it. And it was at that time, even it was just like, we're here for Idris Elba. Oh man. You know, it's like, it was all about Idris before he even reached this kind of stardom. I think he's at now. There's just, there was just something about him that people loved or still love, but you know, at the time. I am amazed that he was on an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. A lot is a lot of things. Cause that wasn't that also like, I mean, I know it's 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 more it's bigger than Aqua Teen Hunger Force, I guess. But wasn't there the, the whole big thing? It was like, oh, Stringer and McNulty are teaming back up. It was just they were doing voices in like Shark Tale or something, or Finding Nemo. They were voice of two fish pals. Yeah, it was Finding Nemo. <laughs> but yeah, right. It's, it's like anything to get them together. I still, oh. I, I I'm gonna feel a fool when it happens. I say when it happens because I'm gonna make it happen. Because I never got to talk to Idris Elba yet. And I am a Wire fan, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be that idiot. I very rarely do stuff like this when I interview people. I like to just kind of ask questions about the movie and stuff like that. If other stuff comes up, it comes up. But I want to sit in front of him and for the very last question, Scott. Sorry, uh, Idris, I have one last question for you. I'll pull up a card and I'll look at it like I'm trying to say he's very serious, and I'll just be like, "Where's the boy string? Where's the boy stringer?" And I want to see. I want to see if he goes. Better shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go. Where, where's the boy string? Where's the boy stringer? We need, just, to, get, we need <laughs> to get Idris Elba on here. There's so many movies we could do. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of stuff. I mean, well, The Losers. I mean, I'll take anybody from The Losers, but I think The Losers is the anybody from that film who wants to talk about The Losers. That's the thing. I think I know they're all they're all in other films that we could also talk about, but I think The Losers is the one that needs to be talked about. I guess I'll have to watch The Losers again then. Oh, again. Oh, you didn't like The Losers? The first time I saw it, but honestly, that was around when it came out. And to be fair, that was the beginning of like Marvel fever. So maybe that was an expectation I had. I am willing to go back to it because of the cast that it has. The Losers. I love Chris Evans and Jeffrey (laughs) Jeffrey Dean. I want Jeffrey Dean Morgan on this show. I would I would talk to that man about Rampage, even though I wasn't a huge fan of the movie. Because I was a huge fan of what he was doing in that movie. Because he stole the movie from everyone else. I'll tell you. I'll tell you two things. Um, well, the Losers is the one of the few, not the few films. There are a bunch of them, but it's for me. It's probably one of the few films because I know a lot of people. Their complaints about the way I see things is like you just don't like things that are pure fun. You just want to, you know, tear it apart. That's one of the pure fun movies <clears throat> that I like. You know, where it's just like. That's just a joy to watch kind of thing. It doesn't have to be serious. It doesn't have to have multiple layers of things going on. It's just, let's watch the fucking loser. Because there was supposed to be a sequel too, but that... But with all of that, I think people should now, if you're in the area, if you're, you know, buy your tickets to go see Dan Skinner and company in the Walworth Farce. And if you don't, we'll know. Exactly. And then go watch High Rise, cross it off your overdue rentals list. I think it's on Hulu right now. I believe it is all still on Hulu, correct. At the time um, of this recording. As, as of this recording. But go check it out if you haven't seen it yet. And then come back. Let us know what you thought about it. 
And to do that, you'll probably have to email us, find us somewhere. So Mike, where can people find us? Well, thankfully, we're not in the 70s dystopia that is high-rise. We're in a more modern dystopia that has internet. And internet helps combat dystopian feelings. Or does it? Anyway, if you really do want to reach out to us, uh, you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rental Show. On Twitter at Rentals Overdue. On Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to email us love letters, other hauntingly sad covers that are used in films, indie or mainstream. If you want to email us any thoughts at all, hopefully only the best, you can send us an email at overdurentals at gmail.com. While we have you on the internet, there's a couple other things you can do to help keep the rental counter open and to help get the stuff you want to see on the show on the show. You can find us wherever you ethically source your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, did I mention Audible? I'm going to mention Audible even if I didn't mention it. The point is you probably found us because you like this movie, but wait till you see some of the other stuff we've talked about because I, we may just have to do some sort of special like top 10 mm. list maybe of like, because we're coming up on two years of doing this. Um. Yeah, because if I'm not mistaken, we were 2021 we started. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because last year I think was the big one year. But anyway, uh, so the point is there's so many more episodes you could be listening to right now of us just rattling on with guest stars, rattling on with ourselves, and it's nothing but love. And... If you have that love, we would like you to reach deep into your hearts and rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. So that way people see those comments. Other people want to see that. Tell a friend of yours to just throw the show on one day. Like think of a movie. You know what? That would be an interesting exercise. If we could get people to email us movies, underrated movies that either they love or their friends loved. Like something that you shared with a friend. Like you want to get a friend to listen to the show. Tell them, hey, they want to do an episode on after hours. Then, you know, if we had an episode of after hours, you could send it over to them and say, listen to these guys. However, uh, tangentially con- connected to after hours, we do have one of the cast members coming on rather soon. In fact, mm-hmm. I believe that's next week's show. So stay tuned yeah. for that plug and cliffhanger. But yeah, uh, there's so many ways you can support the show, interact with the show, love the show, nurture the show, because We're not in a high rise. We're on the internet. Things break very differently around here. And with that, friends, family, and listeners, we're going to leave you with a very somber bye. Bye. So well.